the sustainability pro aspect for of ours came from where like okay we don't need to go we don't need to import fabric or buy ready-made fabric here locally we can just go and get what has been left over and now turn it into a fashion line but now it's something we feel like the rest of the people who we also want them to be our clients and be in the movement to to see that it's it's not just something that it's for us as a business but it affects the bigger ecosystem if everyone took time to be a part of it hello and welcome to the meta podcast a podcast dedicated to bringing you live recordings from meta events covering a wide range of multidisciplinary topics converging at the intersection of innovation in the african continent This episode is brought to you by British Council under the Creative DNA program which is a 12 month incubator implemented by Meta and the UK partner Fashion Scout. The program supported 11 fashion businesses through trainings, coaching, a fashion film feature and seed grant in a bid to play a part in boosting the growth of the sustainable creative industry in the face of COVID. Throughout this Creative DNA podcast series, you'll have a chance to listen to some of these amazing businesses tell their story innovating in the creative industry. In the third episode of the Creative DNA podcast series, we talked about the circular fashion industry, where we discussed how to deliver a blueprint of the circular fashion industry by shifting from a linear model to a circular model. We sought to understand from our speakers how they have incorporated circular fashion into their business models lessons learned and how we too can participate in the circular economy the speakers included linda nanu nyeno the founder and creative director of favoloso by nanu and oliver asike a creative director of thrift social nairobi the conversation was moderated by ogake mosomi who is the founder and head designer at Ogake Bridal. Uh my name is as you said Ogake Mosomi and I'm a fashion designer specializing in bridal wear. I also lecture at the University of Nairobi School of the Arts and Design uh, in fashion and other subjects. Today I'm joined by two superstars who are going to be Oh wow. Of our conversation. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just jump straight into the conversation. and we'll start by just a quick definition so we're talking about uh circular fashion or the circular economy and basically what that is for anyone who's not very sure is a, a regenerative system uh whereby clothing is circulated for as long as it can possibly be and then now put back into the biosphere when it's not of any use but without causing any or as little possible um damage to the environment and this is something which benefits all of us it benefits the society it benefits our businesses mm-hmm. but it also the environment which is mostly what we are focusing on today and what um the, the fashion industry is one of those very wasteful industries and in the past few years in the past 15 years or so our production has increased by 50, by 60% mm. in contrast our actual use of that clothing has decreased by 40% so we are generally because of fast fashion we are producing way more than we need and then just quickly discarding that clothing without a care for the uh, the The, the, what it does to the environment so our two speakers today have incorporated circular 
um, economy concepts into their businesses. And Oliver, uh, your journey with uh, circular economy started a very long time ago. You started thrifting and repurposing fashion long before you were a stylist. Tell yeah. us how started and what your business model looks like now how you're incorporating this concept my journey into the sustainability aspect of things i'd say it started at a very young age uh thanks to my mom who's my biggest inspiration when it comes to fashion she used to take us as uh to gikomba to toy market when we we're really young and uh, from there just uh, being big going to those markets at from a very uh from a very young age inspired my my taste for fashion and my career in what I'm doing now so it started there uh just going into going into this markets from there now it just the passion just started uh growing in me then in came tumblr tumblr was there before instagram so me and my sister were like okay let's uh this is a new platform and uh, we, we love photography and we 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 love fashion so now why why not just start taking random pictures with nairobi as the ba- ba- backdrop showcasing our our love for fashion and from there it just grew organically we started getting reposts from for too many siblings getting world recognition and stuff then came the explosion of instagram and now th- that's when things just took off so we're, we're getting featured all over all over the world but we're like okay we are cool and stuff but uh how's this how's this platform uh, how are you making money from it and how 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 can we make it a livelihood and how can we make it sustainable we're like okay let's have start a new a new concept now that's the thrift social where we can invite invite our friends to come and just shop from the from our closet literally so we just started from uh our parents uh backyard we 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 got we got a few clothes that we have from our closet and invited friends and to our surprise the first event we did 100 people came to which was really really nice and they bought all the uh, the, the thrift clothes that we had so i guess that's what i'd say was the beginning of my journey and as uh, as far as my as a business model is concerned i'd say in the fashion industry or economy i'd say i am I'm, i'm someone who wears many hats because i partake in styling and if i'm not doing a styling projects with basically artists who are doing music videos then i'm working on the next trip social event or um i'm doing projects uh art projects with now too many siblings tell us about vitimbi as well actually i i know about trip social i know about the styling but vitimbi yeah. was something also discovered which must also be um Part of the of 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 uh, where you're making your or you're making this make sense economically yeah yeah so vitimbi is a is a sustainable fashion brand that uh, was started in 20 2019 and at the time uh, my idea when starting the brand was like okay there's at the time there are no many uh, local fa- fashion brands that spoke to 
directly to my audience and me knowing my audience to what they like. So it's like, okay, let me, let, let me start here something at home. So, and yeah, I, I was collaborating with uh, a Nigerian designer called Bubu Ogisi. So that's when the, the, the concept started. So basically where we source our materials, I don't know if you guys know a place called Maziwa. It's on Jogo Road. So that's yeah. they they have uh, they have I'd call them dead stock material from the EPZ. So that's where the the sustainability pro aspect for of ours came from. We're like, okay, we don't need to go, we don't need to import fabric or buy ready-made fabric here locally. We can just go and get what has been left over and now turn it into a fashion line. Yeah, so basically that's it. Yeah, and at the moment we're working on uh, our second collection. This is like really fantastic. So can I just ask just as a follow up to that? Are you also um, upcycling clothing, or is it purely the dead stock, the dumped fabric from the factories that you're using for this brand? It's it's a combination of both. So the 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 garments that we have upcycled. And then the the from now Gikomba and Toy Market. Then now the the garments that were made from the dead stock material. Thank you so much. So we're going to dig deep uh, into that a little bit later. But guys, yeah. I hope you figured out how um, Oliver and Velma have create gone from something that was a passion into turning it into something that is sustainable and which gives them livelihood, which is what we are doing, which is all what, uh, what we are all trying to do. And then just how Nairobi can be a vibrant source of inspiration, because I think when it comes to thrifting, and this is a culture that we have, so it's, it's nothing new. So as people yeah. talk about sustainability, for us, it's kind of always been in the background without us realizing. Yeah. 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 So Linda, yes. you create wear for women, and you know women are picky, picky, picky. Yes. How do you apply the concepts of circular fashion in a business model like yours? So for us, how we have managed to put circular fashion into our business is by the fact that we do not create uh, our clothes in mass production. We only almost do them in need basis. We come up with a small collection and then women would order based on that collection and we make sure we are not making too much more than they need. Then the other way we also, from the waste that we get from the garments we have made, we've actually made products, tangible products that instead of throwing away, because each time we cut off, I mean, almost like 10% of when you're making an outfit, there's that waste in terms of cutoffs. So for our business, we've actually kept those pieces and have put them together and we've made things like pouches, tote bags that we also has created an income on the side for our business because we sell it to the women and we've also managed to sell it in some of the markets. And then the other thing about the circular that we've put into our business is the fact that when we create these clothes, the women we make these clothes don't want to shop every day. So they want clothes that will serve them for a long time, that will give them an easy time in their lives. Like it's not something they have to stop their lives and say, okay, I need to be taking care of my clothes because they need to go to the laundry every other time. So it's clothes that can serve different occasions, but it's the same outfit. And at the same time, the care is easy. And then uh, occasionally we, we, are, we allow them to come in and repair them. 
like if something either because we made the cloth so we know what needs to be done if it it's got a bit of a tear we know how we can repurpose that if we'll do a bit of bead work if it's the zips we'll replace them of course at a small fee but it keeps them serving these clothes for longer so it means we they don't have to have like 50 over or 10 items of the same pencil skirt Wow, that's 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 really awesome. I think I didn't realize um, all these uh, you were incorporating all these aspects into your business. What you're talking about here is yeah. kind of kind of like slow fashion. So you're trying to create fashion, yeah. the best uh, possible quality so that you it has the longest possible use. So because exactly. um, I I think the problem with fast fashion is that the quality of the garment is not great. So you'll wear it once, twice, it's ready torn. You chuck it and buy the next yeah. one because it's cheap but with people like you yes. then you're giving people a chance to ensure that that garment can be worn for as long as possible and you're even giving them options of how to repair this is this is really great and also yeah. like about um using the waste to create new products so that's kind of upcycling yes. and only what people need so these are like guys this is the core of what circular fashion is about we're trying to delay for as long as possible how quickly clothes go back into landfill and, and, and I hope um, so far we've yes. picked up that. So uh, we were just talking about earlier how thrifting is part of, of uh, the Kenyan culture. Uh, whether, yeah. you know, you, whether you like it or not, sometimes it's not really because it's what we want to do. Of course, we at some point want to buy new clothes, but a lot of people cannot um, and, yeah. uh, afford new clothes. Um, and, and then also growing up, of course, we wore hand-me-down clothes. Not something we love, but it is very much a part of their culture. So now I'm wondering, in uh, in your opinion, both of you, is this now that companies are starting to call themselves sustainable, and some of these ideas are things which we did in our culture anyway? Um, are we doing it because we care about the environmental angle, or is it just a marketing tool? Because it's a trend; it's a big thing everybody's talking about right now. So why have you decided to go the sustainability way for your brand? Linda. So uh, the, the thing about sustainability for especially this part of the world, we were already doing it. So it's it's something like when we went, like when we started our brand, it was not even something we had to think about. It had to be something that it just organically came because we realized we are doing all these clothes, but there's this waste that comes out of it. We already have a problem in terms of uh, disposing our our waste. So those are some of, and also the hand-me-downs and the fact that as a business, you realize a customer might not, might not be able to come and buy a new item every other time. So whatever you do for them, they want it to last long. They want easy care. They still want after a long time, it's working. So for us as a brand, it's not just like a trend because there's a part of the world that now sees it as a trend and they want to be in it. For us, it's always been like our way of life. So for our business, it's something that it's one of our core, like core values that we have to still be very gentle to the environment. We still have, as much as we are gentle to the environment, we should be able to provide solutions to our people, our customers and make it easier for them. Okay, so it's more of a practical thing uh, for your company. But do you market yes, it? Yes, exactly. your advantage that your company is sustainable? Well, it's, I think uh, we have not marketed it heavily in terms of being out there in social media. But any, any customer who has been, uh, has been our client, 
knows that's one of the core things. When they get something from us, we are able to either repair it every so often if they have an issue. We create products that are well-crafted so they last longer. The waste we get from our products is what, uh, the waste we get from the products we make for them is what they can get now, the tote bags, the porches that they buy from us. So it's, it's, uh, it's a knowledge of the people who are our existing clients, but now it's something we feel like the rest of the people who we also want them to be our clients and be in the movement to, to see that it's, it's not just something that it's for us as a business, but it affects the bigger ecosystem if everyone took time to be a part of it. This is very true. And um, now for Oliver, um, I just want to know, has for you guys, you, you've said that you got a lot of international recognition, which is like you guys literally blew up. Like whether or not we knew too many siblings before, <laughs> it's a word on everybody's lips. And I'm just wondering, uh, your styling, of course, is fantastic. But do you think you got... Um, do you think the sustainability angle is what drew people to your brand, especially internationally? And mm. are you leveraging on that now? Or do you think it was purely because, you know, you're a styling company and your style is, you know, really eye-catching? I'd say for the, susten- the sustainability part, I think we have just, for us as a brand, we have been doing it subconsciously without knowing, wow, that's the, let's say, Seven years ago, we, to be honest, we didn't know anything about sustainability and its effect on the world. But us, we're just thrifting. But to the West, it was uh, it was it was something big, that, a trend that was coming up. And to be honest, with my experience with the uh, with sustainability and fashion, uh, let's say I have a I have a client who's who, who's Amzungu. When, when they see the product and when they hear the back-end story of, of, of the garment, they're like, wow, 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 this is, this is interesting. Where did, you get, where did you get this garment? Oh, I got it from Gikomba. Wow, it's the biggest, second biggest flea market in East, East and Central Africa. And now you turned it into this new thing, which is amazing. So the, for, I'd say the West, they, they love the backstory back of it. And to my local con- uh, consumer, when they see the garment upcycled, they just think it's fantastic and it's 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 a flip on a new style. Because you see, with with fast fashion, you're almost forced into into following a certain trend. But but when you're doing uh, upcycling, reusing is like something someone hasn't seen before. Like I have this. Uh, a pair of pants that we we upcycle upcycled into into a garment into into a bag. So for that, it's really interesting to my to my local audience. But now to to the foreigners, they they like the back end story, which is which which to to be honest has has worked has worked well commercially for for the brand. You see. So are you so are you actively leveraging that um, that point, especially now to the West? Are you actively leveraging the point that your clothing is sustainable? And in Kenya, are you also leveraging that point, or in Kenya does it not really matter? Does the story not really matter? Uh, to be to be honest, uh, to the West, the story matters. But I feel in 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 Kenya or in Africa per se. Uh, the sustainability 
topic has become almost a trend and uh, uh, people are hoping into are hoping on to it but i feel in africa we have we have so many problems that i feel the environment and what clothes uh what clothes are doing to the environment hasn't really hit home yet it's really hasn't become a problem yet people are like oh how how am i going how am i going to put food on my meal in the evening you understand yeah that's and and, I think and then that's- for me coming sorry and for me coming from being seen as i'd say a fashion i i icon i was in the crossroads of okay um oh yes you you love you you love uh thrifting and stuff this is what you're pushing but what is it doing to the local textile industry so it's like is can i can i be in a space where the 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 two the two issues coexist you understand so that's where i am and that's something which we are actually going to uh, discuss now that it has come up maybe we can bring it up the fact that uh, of course kenyans love to go second hand shopping for clothing and because our style is also very western so you find these clothes one we don't want to look alike kenyans have this thing i think linda can understand mm-hmm. that uh maker for women like people don't want to be seen in the same clothes as the other person we always want to look it and the second hand clothing omitumba gives us that because you get a wide variety of clothing which you can style in different ways but on the downside this is actually stifling our local industry and if this if uh, the second hand clothing was banned with it would probably push um push us as an economy as the designers as all the stakeholders to come up with a way to uh to 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 feed um the need of the economy like from home so i wonder um so the, so there's a bit of a catch 22 there is it in a way we are being sustainable but we are killing in a way we are killing our economy also what do you guys think which which is the way to go with this linda uh it's like you said it's a catch 22 and it's become so difficult to balance because when we i think it still goes down to the basis of what the kenyan person can afford so when the whole economy is in a in a way where we are not people don't have money in their pockets clothes become secondary so the moment it's secondary it means we are not able to the moment it's secondary it means they are not able to afford clothes that are much more expensive so they will go for the, so uh, for the uh, thrifted clothes which they would find easier to 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 access however it's i feel it's it's a very tricky part to be because we feel like it it has to be a balance between the policy where the government comes in where it balances where if the kenyans are able to have more money in their pockets they would be able to buy new clothes However, as people who come up with the new clothes, we should be able to make things that are long lasting so that these people are not just it's not just fast fashion from our end as well. So they get something new but it will last them for a while. That's what I think it needs to get to where we can have a balance. And and I think that aspect of policy like you've said is very important Linda. And and maybe even it could be a case that because we cannot at this point like we cannot instantly just cut off um 
the influx of, of, of secondhand clothing because our industry is not prepared for that. But maybe we can limit what's coming in. So instead of dumping everything, I understand Mitumba has uh, different um, trades. Instead of bringing everything, bring only what is good quality and what is approved. And I think that's what they're trying to do now uh, with... Um, uh, what do you say, like uh, inspecting all the bills that come through. So bring only what is of good quality. And then also don't make the taxes so low that you're stifling, you're like completely killing the designers. But Oliver, let me just turn that to you. You said you've been caught in the middle of that. So what, what's your what's your take? What's the way to go up around it? I honestly feel uh, the, the, uh, the two... Uh, like uh, locally made clothing and uh, and mitumba can be can coexist, but now I just feel like it's it's the policies that need more more tightening. For example, let's say um, for the local designers, where 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 are they sourcing uh, where are they sourcing their, their fabrics or their resources? What's the tax on that? I was just seeing in. Uh, on the news yesterday, I think uh, Mitumba brings about 12 billion Kenya shillings in taxes. So you see that's, I'd say it's a booming economy and there are people, it's even political. There are cartels there. It's, there's a lot of things involved in that. But my thing, my challenge is if, my, my, my thinking is that the two can exist. It's just that the policies that govern both sectors Need to be need to be adjusted and 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 fa and favor the parties that are that that are involved. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, yeah. So I think we, we need to find a balance between the two, especially right yeah. now as the industry starts to regenerate itself. We really need to find that balance and see how we can support both the traders because they're also making um, a living, but then yeah. have practices which are actually protecting our industry as well. Okay, um, so I'd like to know, uh, for the two of you, does people, does the fact that uh, you are using sustainable practices, do you think this has a bearing on what willing, people are willing to pay for your designs? I'll start with um, Oliver. Yeah, with my, my experience uh, locally is uh, when people hear that a garment has been upcycled, First of all, the, the, the perception is uh, it's of uh, poor quality. Uh, it's maybe it doesn't look good, but I've realized when to foreigners, when they hear about garments being upcycled ups, ups and the sustainability approach of things, they really appreciate the, the, the back end story of, of, of what you're trying to do and what the brand is doing. So they are ready to to pay a good uh, to pay a premium price for the product but here locally if let's say i've i've, I've upcycled um, a garment or something to be honest it it it, it needs to be more exp expensive because the, the the artistry put into that garment is is is, is a lot so I've, i found it a challenge where like even going to source those materials uh, upcycling the garments and now getting the correct uh, price points price points that can cater for both my local consumers and international consumers is is just a challenge so i feel like we still for the local market we still have a way to to 
to go, especially just in appreciating made in made in Kenya products, not even if it's sustainable or not, just appreciating what we have is is now the the big the big challenge and i'm happy to see like uh, our president leading the front line always wearing made in kenyan products and i think here they, they wanted to push something where government officials should wear made in kenya products every, every is it every friday or something so I just, yeah so yeah so i just feel like it's it's about time for the industry for the industry to grow uh, people should should start uh, everyone in the food chain should now start appre- appreciating made in made in Kenya products and what you've said is interesting um i didn't realize or i didn't think about it that way that the the, the the time that you need to put in to reconstruct a garment from different different parts is going to be a lot of it's like very different from cutting a new pattern. I think that's similar to what we have in our business. Um, when we're doing adjustments of clothing, it's so much more complex than coming up with a new garment altogether. Like, mm. honestly, people don't realize how difficult it is to do adjustments. And also like that appreciation of made in Kenya, whether it's reconstructed and upcycled in Kenya, we also need to push that narrative. And who would you mm. say is clientele um just as a follow-up question the the people who have been following the brand here locally too many too many siblings and who people who have seen the the evolution of the brand to where it is and but my 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 biggest clientele i'd say uh are europeans it's more of export it's, oh it's more of yeah. export linda is it the same for you yeah. clientele and also um you feel like people want to negotiate on those items which you've made from like your scrap of fabric are they aware that that that's what it is so the thing about uh, our clients is we've had a, a good clientele in the sense that they appreciate the little efforts in terms of when you make an outfit and make sure it lasts longer so those are the few things that we've used to get an edge so that when we put together this outfit that will take us maybe a certain time and not just maybe 30 minutes or an hour they'll appreciate the time taken into it and also the pieces that have come off from the waist they don't negotiate into that because they can imagine how small they were and now there are things that they can use so they feel like it's it's an appreciation and most of them because of these pieces that we have most of them can relate to it because it's either an outfit they have a shirt they have so there is a sentimental value in it which for us has been a a, a place that we feel they don't quite negotiate uh, when it comes to that and then my clientele is uh, surprisingly it is um, mainly kenyans and a few who are international and like oliver says the international client is so keen on the back story like uh, the sustainability of it and the few that i've had have come back because of that aspect because they've had something for quite a long time it was well crafted it was um, it served them in different ways so it's it's something that uh, has helped and then for the local client i think it's also knowledge and them starting to understand and educating them it's not just about them coming to buy an outfit so most of our sessions like when someone comes to buy it's uh, one of the trainings we've had with uh, the people i work with with my colleagues is it's important for them to know the story behind it it's not just a shirt it's not just 
because initially when we started we had so many who gave us oh we could go to toy or oh this we can find in a such and such a market and with time when they start realizing it's not just an outfit it's time taken to put it together the sustainability aspect of it because when we buy fabric we don't buy in like hundreds of meters where like you said women don't like to look the same so the fact that she knows we are going to buy there's only six of these items in this print in this style that has been a good thing for us to be able to get a good edge in terms of our price points um I, I like that a lot it brings back that whole conversation of storytelling so our stories in terms of um well the sustainable story of well and every other story like as businesses we really need to push our stories because that's that's what makes us different and that's what makes us special so i hope it's something i've had this in many many forums and i think we just don't take it seriously enough as designers we really can't tell our stories better uh so now just to go into our last sort of like uh, question um for those again who are joining us today there's there are three main categories that circular fashion can fall into so it can be business models that increase clothing use which is slow fashion like what um nanu is doing and it can be safe and renewable inputs and there are a lot of conversations right now about people who are trying to you know using tech are trying to come up with uh fabrics from uh materials which are all around us there's pineapple fabric banana fabric milk fabric all sorts mm-hmm. so that tech bit might not be you know within reach for everyone but you know th- these are things which are happening out there thinking about what whatever we are putting back into the into the environment it's things which can be quickly uh by by which are by degradable and then also there are solutions where used clothing is being turned into new or dumped fabric is being turned into clothing like what Oliver is doing so i'd like us to just talk a little bit now you guys as the experts what more can the kenyan industry do to create businesses which are sort of in line with that which are restorative and regenerative and here we're looking at ideas which anybody with a small business can tap into without necessarily breaking the bank and also how can we make sustainability more attractive so that yes of course we know that uh i think it's oliver who said that in kenya people are not yet thinking about sustainability as a problem because my first issue is i need to put food on my table but how can we make it more attractive so that even as we do that we are conscious about even the small things we do day to day so that's a two in one question can i start with you linda oliver to go first <laughs> Wow, that that was whole fact. I yeah, I know. know <laughs> yeah, but I'm just going to pick up a few things that you've touched base on. I'd say uh when it comes to to using uh uh new materials or or materials that people haven't expected I think we have been we have been doing it we've been doing it for a while like I can say the akala shoes that the Maasai make I think they're made from uh, I think they're made from tire so that's been something that we've been doing but I from what the industry can do I think it's just uh, uh the education part of it because even us as 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 designers like this what what you've touched on is is it's new to me i'm like okay uh what else can i can what materials can i uh introduce to my brand that are more biodegradable i i, I don't have those resources i don't I, i don't have that education yet to know okay i can make 
uh, a cool pair a cool pair of trousers from i don't know uh, uh, banana leaves or something and how will the how will the how will the all my audience uh, react react to it is it going to be if is it still going to have re- retain the cool element of it so those are, are just the things that i feel we still have a way to go and both the consumer and the designer i, I feel it's like an education process that we all need to go through so that the consumer can uh, can appreciate the product and the designer can be in, in, innovative like let's say if i if for example if uh, right now i said okay now i have a collection of a color a color shoes i'm sure like there'll be a white person somewhere in the world who loses his mind on that she'll be like what these guys are making shoes out of out of tires but you see now to my kenyan guy we just oh nothing new here and it wouldn't be appreciated the same but i'm i'm, I'm more for I'm, i'm more for advocating for to to use a lot of tech because i feel like tech is a solution is a big solution in it's helping solve a lot of problems and 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 fashion can be can also take that approach and is is there a way we can make it more attractive for people because since it's not it's not a factor for us sorry maybe i'm throwing you i'm i'm throwing you guys a curveball but how how can we make it more attractive yes education but how do we how do we inspire people to embrace some of these ideas i, f- I feel like people always with this kind of new things uh people are always looking for success stories oh this guy did this mm-hmm. and it, it's working there's a friend of mine he's called uh zedi uh he he made he, he makes suits uh so he had he, he had this project where he had uh, i don't know if it was an app or something but it does uh 3d measurement so you you don't actually have to go uh to the tailor where if you're making a suit that you have to go to the tailor and and get your adjustments made you simply just i think you're se- sending a, a a a photo of yourself then you can just scan like your 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 body size with a phone which i thought was really cool but also from then he still had hiccups on how on how to do it now to the execution part of it So yeah I think those success stories are important because we are definitely trying to make money this is why we are here um mm. and in terms of education like what you said even new materials even if you don't go so deep into tech there are some materials which are better for the environment than others we assume that mm. cotton for example is um organic it's good it's like when it's organic it's good but cotton also consumes a lot of uh, a, a lot of water in its production consumes a lot of energy and the dyes mm. the times which are being used for regular cotton are detrimental like so they're just chucked into rivers and they're causing pollution so it's, it's understanding things like for example uh, a fabric like linen is a lot more uh it's a lot better for the for the environment it's a little bit expensive there's another one called viscose i don't know if you guys know about viscose which is um it's actually made from wood pulp and then processed and processed into this fabric which can do so many things for you so i think as designers we definitely what you said about we need to educate ourselves about what is available out there and how we can uh, utilize it nanu yeah so uh, like uh, there are three parts of it and we talked about the slow fashion which i feel we already have on board so the 
the tech is where I feel like now it comes in where we need more education. I mean, here, I think for the whole aspect of it, we need lots of education in terms of what we can do. And it was quite impressive. There's that company in Thika that used uh, Sting and Nettle to make fabric, but I can imagine how expensive it is for them to produce. So it would also be helpful if we are also so as designers and um, as designers to be in play when we are we're part of the policy making so that these things, we have the government involved by virtue of the knowledge that we have in, like we, we have in terms of as being designers so that these policies, we also have the government supporting some of these projects. And if, uh, example, like the guys who do the singing nettle fabric, if they were able to produce it in mass, because I mean, we have seen nettle everywhere, like nobody's shags doesn't have it. So if they were able to produce it as a fabric that we can use locally, those are some of the aspects that would help us be sustainable without it necessarily being very expensive. So it ends up being expensive because these are personal uh, energies someone puts into it, resources, the research. So. If we, I mean, like we have uh, research institutes for, let's say the Cambry for medicine. Imagine if we had one for fashion, it would make like, I feel like our space has so many people who are creative, but we don't have the places to experiment because half the time you're thinking, what's putting food on my table? Am I able to sell this product? So it's, it's the kind of uh, space we need as designers to be in these spaces where the policies are done. It's the only way we can actually get through and be able to support our industry to grow. And the moment and the success stories, and those success stories only come so often if we are intentional in what we are doing. So if we are intentional in terms of being in the policy places, uh, getting new ideas and rewarding innovation, our clientele will start feeling that it's a cool thing to to wear these products, to be part of the sustainability journey. And it's going to be so effortless. As much as they feel like right now, it's a difficult one. Someone is just thinking, is it food? Is it trying to be sustainable? Is it, you know, it will all be effortless because it's not forced, it's so organic. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. I like that you've used the word intentionality or being intentional. We say that intentionality, this is the word for 2021. We must be intentional mm -hmm. about everything doing yeah. and two things i've picked up on there the first one is that we need to be uh, we need to be active in the um in the arena where policies are being um as designers i don't know if we let ourselves down sometimes i know there's a design bill that went around uh, a while back and they needed comments from us i don't know how many of us participated in that um even for me i struggled a little so <laughs> we also sometimes bury our, our our heads in the sand and we just work in our little silos but it's important that we are part of that process and when we're given opportunities let's be out there also at the forefront talking about what's happening in our industry so that the changes can happen then you've also talked about yeah so in terms of intentionality just to pull out what you guys have talked about stories i think that's another way that we can really push um sustainability so when we tell our stories people know what we are doing and slowly by slowly we can create change which i think is it's really great uh there's also education on tech tech materials all of these things which you have mentioned and then also just daily pushing you know like even these things which we are doing without thinking about them let's make people aware that that is part of the sustainable story because then we are more conscious about it so the next time we're doing it we're doing it knowing that what we are wearing or what we are buying is not just 
another garment, but we are also trying to um, protect our environment as well. Thank you so much, everyone, for participating today. Thank you, Linda and Oliver, for sharing about your business. It's it's, Thank it's you. something we take for granted. Thank you. Not want to hide the secrets of success. So we appreciate. <laughs> And thank you for yeah. everyone joining us in the conversation. Thank you, Meta and British Council, for hosting this uh, wonderful conversation. For more of these episodes, you can subscribe to our podcast channel on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform of your choice. To stay in touch with us, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at WeAreMetaNBO or email us on Nairobi at meta.co. Until next time, thanks for listening.